Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz and I'm obsessed with the future of work and all things co-working and flexible work. In our second season, we're focusing on technology. I'll be interviewing amazing humans from all over the map in this five-part series. We'll be exploring the future of work, technology, new models, and of course, somehow I'll work in some health and wellness. Let's get started. Well, welcome, welcome to another edition of Workplace Trends with Liz Elam, and I have Asia Huck with us today. Good morning, Asia. Good morning, Liz. So great to see you, and I'm going to get started how I always get started. We're going to do a quick speed, well, not always, most of the time. We're going to do a quick speed round around technology. So, you ready? Sure. Okay. Apple or Android? Apple. Favorite way to wake up with technology? Like, do you use your phone? Do you use an alarm clock? What do you use? My phone is an alarm clock. Okay. Favorite app on that phone? Oh my gosh, I think I'm just always in the mail app, sadly. I'm not that exciting. But what do you like? Good question. I do tend to pop into Instagram every now and then because Mm -hmm. I love looking at the travel photos. I follow a lot of travel influencers and it's my... Mm -hmm way of getting sort of an armchair experience of the world, no matter where mm-hmm. I am. Love that. Yeah. I love looking at travel photos. AI good or AI bad? AI inevitable. Mm. Is yeah, I agree. Robots in your house. Yes or no? No. <laughs> what if it's a Roomba? What if it's a vacuum? You know, I've debated that. My in-laws have a Roomba and I'll always sort of look at it moving around their home, but I'm not sure I'm ready to welcome it into mine as yet. Okay. Okay. That's totally fair. Okay. So moving on, I'm going to ask the question I ask everyone, which I always get a super interesting answer in these fascinating times, which is how are you? Like mentally, how are you? How is COVID in your area? How's your family? Like, how are you? I feel blessed that I think as a family, we're doing well. So I live in Dallas. You know, we're lucky that we get more than our fair share of sunny days and the ability to be outdoors. So the feeling of being constrained or contained, even in times when COVID is high, we have some respite from it. I will say that Texas is experiencing COVID at a crazy rate, and I worry about what's happening in our community. But I also do think there's a lot of resilience and people are trying to get on with things. You know, for example, Texas has a great vaccination rate, which even though it has a super high COVID rate, it's also doing really well and making sure people are getting the vaccine. How we're doing personally, how I'm doing personally, I think for me, because I really love what I do in work, it keeps me very directed and motivated. And I feel I can connect with interesting people around a topic that I really love. And I think that keeps me focused. So work is really important. And honestly, from a personal perspective, one of the upsides of all the downsides of COVID is that I have rediscovered a love of cooking. So now there is a series of cookbooks on our kitchen counter, and I'll do that to relax. And I was somebody who wouldn't chop an onion or a tomato Mm -hmm. or would order out all the time. And now Otto Lenge and other sort of chefs are a part of our daily diet. And I love it. That's, That's been our COVID therapy. I love it. I do that as well. People are always I don't know. I must not seem very nurturing or something. (laughs) 
because people are always amazed when I'm like, I love to cook and bake and I find it incredibly relaxing. I love putting on some music and creating, you know, it's for me, it's a creative outlet. So I'm going to go back to a speed round question then. What's your favorite cookbook right now? I love Simple by the chef Otto Lenge. And Mm -hmm. I really have been trying to eat more vegetables and do it in a way that's appealing and more grains. Same. Just the visual beauty and the creativity of the food. I also love a book called Cook Beautiful. I'm blanking Mm. for a moment on the chef. It'll come back to me. She's amazing. Um, Her Instagram handle is iSwoon. So Mm. those are two that I follow. Fantastic. Yeah, I super love Alice Waters, just like really simple food. And I also love the cookbook America's Test Kitchen. I literally stopped using other cookbooks when I found that cookbook because they've done all of the science behind it and found the best way to make whatever. Love it. Okay, but I digress. Let's get back to technology and MBO Partners. So can you, like, so Gene from MBO Partners, who's the CEO or former CEO, but founder and still engaged, um, spoke at one of the first Juicies in Austin. And, but I don't, I don't know if our current audience is really familiar with MBO Partners. Can you tell us a little about who MBO Partners is and what you guys are looking to accomplish? Absolutely. So MBO, although not as well known as a consumer brand, is actually a very successful B2B brand and technology platform in the independent workspace. So what we do is we make it easy for enterprises and independent professionals to work together by solving all the problems and friction that come from a solo entrepreneur or small firm trying to engage with a really large company. And there's two sides to our business. One side is that we actually work directly with much of the Fortune 500 and help to manage their entire contingent workforce. So from a very strategic perspective, create that channel of engagement that allows you to pull in an independent worker in a much more efficient way using technology, better for the company, better for the independent. It's not a massive staffing margin. It's a lean um, model that allows efficient and compliant engagement. And then the side of the business that I spend a little bit more time on is our direct talent side of the business, where in fact, our customer is the independent professional or business owner, somebody like you, Liz, who, um, in addition to many of the things that you do, also run a successful boutique consulting firm with a few other individuals. And uh, some of the problems that a new firm owner or a growing firm owner faces in terms of um, setting up to be a firm in the first place, gaining the insurances, setting up um, enterprise level contracts, building a network, soliciting and finding work, signing a contract, all of that is something that you can receive as a service inside a membership model that I help manage inside MBO called MBO Advantage. And MBO really sees itself as a leader in the independent workspace. And we are the authors of a study that actually I helped to create with Gene Mm -hmm. which is called the state of independence. Steve King and I were talking about that yesterday. That's right. Steve is amazing. And he's actually um, someone who's spoken about state of independence on our podcast. And so has Gene. And it's a, it's just a wonderful study that has become sort of the landmark study to understand the sector. And it's looked at by 
the government. It's looked at by strategic sectors like co-working, of course, by companies and very much by independents themselves. And the 10-year destination is fantastic because it's very interactive and mm-hmm. stories of independent professionals across America. So I do encourage checking it out for your audience. Yeah, absolutely. I read it every year. It's it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I really think like every co-working space owner needs to know about MBO because it's something that so many independents need to know about. And corporations are flooding into co-working spaces like never before in the coming months. And this is something they could all utilize. So I think it's just really something that I need to help educate the community on. But how do you guys use technology to connect the independents and the companies? So our entire business is based on a platform tech model. So what we've done is taken all the difficult pieces of setting someone up, making sure they're enabled to enter their time, making sure that they can manage expenses, making sure that they can get paid in a timely way, all those sort of friction and pain points that exist between the individual and the company and have them sort of happen seamlessly inside a platform environment that then creates connection activity between the individual and the organization and complete visibility to that transaction, which is very much what our CEO, Miles, actually talks about this, very much the element of a modern business model, you know, where you look at agility, you look at frictionless engagement, and you look at sort of understanding the data across the platform. So we really do see ourselves as a platform player, and we're one that have we've been doing this for many decades. I mean, there's other people who sort of call themselves platform business, but honestly, they may have put up their first true tech presence like in the last Mm -hmm. few years. But MBO inherently was built on a technology and a proprietary infrastructure. And that's what sets us apart in the market. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, one of the things that was like the most important things to all CEOs globally before the pandemic was talent, attraction, and retention. And I understand, you know, now the number one concerns pretty much got to be health and safety, but I think it'll go back to the war on talent. So I know you guys talked to so many employers, like what's new and different and what people are looking for now, like kind of during COVID? So they're very much revisiting their labor models. So that's what we're seeing from large clients. And I think what COVID has done is it's acted as a little bit of a tipping point for how strategic organizations think about workforce transformation. And what they recognize is that there is a move from a fixed labor model to a more flexible labor model with more reliance on the use of ICs. So it's baked now into the way that they're thinking about their future work. How do I sort of take my full-time talent, make sure they're optimized for what they need to do? And by the way, my personal thoughts, Steve and I have talked a lot about this over the years, is really that sometimes they're not actually the experts, the people that are inside the business. They're almost work managers and work creators. So they're the Mm -hmm. originator of the work. They're project managing the work in some shape or form, looking at the ROI on work. But often what we're seeing is, especially with our tech company clients and more leading edge clients, they're looking out to the market for the right skill at the right price for the right amount of time. Mm -hmm. So 
we see a concept, and actually it's one of our it's part of our top 10 predictions for 2021. One of them that I love is virtual just-in-time teams. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at the IC market or independent consultant market and say, who can I pull in that's um, really efficient and effective and excellent at what they do? Maybe expensive. Maybe they're not the same as a sort of, you know, on an hourly rate as a full-time worker, but I can get them to tell me what I need to do, set up my design, and then I can bring in the right resources or expand a team to solve an opportunity and then contract it again. The way that organizations, I think the code for that is you're looking for agility from your talent. That's Mm -hmm. the you're looking for. And then you're looking for skills, hot skills is what organizations sort of stay up at night thinking about. Like I need the skill to get my problem solved. How do I find that skill at the right price in the right way? And I do think, of course, it could be a full-time employee. It could be fractional talent, or it could be a combination. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you bring in fractional talent and they convert. Sometimes you're going to want to leave them in an independent relationship. So that's that's the um, insights that we're seeing from our side of the house. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, one One of the things I was really excited about talking to you about is opportunity for all. Because you guys are approaching inclusivity and diversity from a really different door. And I'm really excited about this because I think, you know, inclusivity and diversity is something we all know we need to do, we all want to do, but we don't know what to do. And you guys are kind of giving people an avenue and I'm super excited about it. So can you tell us about that initiative and what inspired you and and how we can help? Absolutely. Well, you've certainly brought a subject very close to my heart and especially given that we have Martin Luther King Day coming up, right, just after the weekend, it's even more important to me, I think, at this time to talk about this topic. And I'll I'll share a little bit of the genesis or the roots of um, opportunity for all. So last year, we started to look at the question of what could MBO do in the space of diversity and inclusion that was truly, truly authentically going to help our market. And And when we look at our market or our platform, we think of both sides of our market. We think about our talented independents, and we think about our strategic partners who are enterprise clients. And when we looked at the market and we looked at a lot of what was being shared by other firms, we felt it was somewhat shallow as compared to some of the conversations that we were having internally. And I, and I think that it's tough. Let me, let me first start to say it's not a criticism. Everyone is trying to figure out what to do, but I think it's important not to rush to have an answer, but to actually take the time to think. And that's certainly my um, preference as a business mm-hmm. person. And so I was asked by the company to, to think about this topic and come back and share what MBO's position could be and where we've arrived, I'm incredibly excited about, and that is the opportunity for all campaign. So here's what we recognized, that independent work, more than one in two Americans will be experiencing independent work at either as a full-time career or as a big part of their career. It is a massive sector. Self-employment is one of the biggest themes of our time. Um, everyone does want to be an entrepreneur. We have limited to no understanding of the diversity of this population. It has just never been looked at. And actually, the question came back to us. I mean, even to me as as somebody who helped start the state of independence, why are we not measuring and understanding this population? We need to be because all things start with data. And the first part of our imperative was to really see the independent workforce, not just at MBO itself, which in fact, Today, I'm going to be looking over the results of our survey. 
that helps us to see our provider population and understand the things that I need to work on inside MBO's ecosystem to make improvement. Seeing is also something that we knew our clients wanted, that they were looking to understand where is the diversity that I do not see? Because I know it's there, but we don't have a way to measure it. And, and that's something we're expert at. We were engaging the talent for them. So now one thing that we do is turn around and explain to them how they can see this population in all its diversity. And specifically, we explained and we continue to advocate for the idea that independents are first and foremost businesses of one. They are people that aspire to be an owner. And that is what sets them apart. And that's what created our vision, which is to enable 10,000 new diverse entrepreneurs, Black, Hispanic, women, veterans, socially disadvantaged businesses, the, the categories of supplier diversity that today are locked up with much larger firms. But in fact, we have all these one-person and two-person and three-person firms that should be looked at as strategic suppliers. They should be part of the ecosystem. And MBO has a unique opportunity to share that data and to advocate for that population to be recognized. And I will tell you that we're doing that on a weekly basis with our clients and they're engaged. They really want to be a part of this. It's sort of an aha moment for them. Like, oh, I sort of looked at this IC, this independent contractor as sort of a human that was, it's another kind of employee. No, hang on. Maybe it's, this really isn't another kind of employee. This is a business that mm -hmm. you're failing to really recognize as a business because they're not showing you the investment that they're making and marketing themselves, the cost they're paying to be out on their own, the insurances that they're purchasing, the mm -hmm. website they're setting up, the hurdles that they're jumping through to be available to you for work in a compliant way. These are businesses. And let's turn around and look at those businesses that are struggling more than the average owner. And we do know that minority-owned businesses and women-owned businesses and veteran-owned businesses face some unique challenges. That's why there's programs strategically within our country to help them succeed. Mm -hmm. We want to take that same construct and say, let's talk about this population it's really big. It's much bigger than you think. And by the way, let's make it bigger. So that gets to the second part of opportunity for all, which is support, right? So what can we do to support the challenges that a business owner faces? And here, what we did is that we actually worked with Steve and Carolyn over at Emergent, and we created a survey mechanism that maps to state of independence, but looks internally at specific populations and compares the general challenges of independence to unique groups and says, okay, is your challenge different. Mm -hmm. So for example, will we learn that a Black business owner of a professional services firm faces certain challenges at a different rate than a Hispanic owner, than a female owner, than a veteran owner, as an example? And that's the kind of stuff we'll uncover. What that will allow us to do is go back to the market and say, where are the solutions? I'll give you a specific example. One I'm really focused on for MBO and for the market in general is it's too hard to get certified. It's just way, way too yeah. hard. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There's dollars. Every time you don't yep. get certified, there's dollars you're leaving on the table. How can we help? So that is my personal commitment in 2021. I would like to get people certified. Even if it's 100 new firms that we get certified, the dollars that they would have access to in enterprise opportunity and government opportunity could change their life. It's it's a simple equation. It's wealth creation. Yeah. So um, the multi-year journey is to create and enable more diverse entrepreneurs. And within that, 
The final part is to help them scale. So what does it take to help them scale? What can MBO do to help them scale? If it's something that we cannot do, what does the external market offer? Mm -hmm. Co-working is a part of that, by the way. You can scale your ability to have the right space, to bring together the right team, to not create crazy overheads. So it's it's a big endeavor, but you know, honestly, as somebody who who likes to take a long-term vision, I'm loving every step of the journey. And what I love the most is the stories mm-hmm. of the entrepreneurs that you meet. If you go to our uh, page, which is called opportunity-for-all on unbeopartners.com, you'll see some of those stories and they're mm-hmm. amazing. The yeah. video, the owners talking, like mm-hmm. a Johanna or a Tasha. I mean, I love their stories. I go back and, you know, for inspiration, will listen to them myself and think it's such an honor to serve such an entrepreneurial population. Yeah. Well, you're you're a former entrepreneur yourself. You you get it. And, you know, um, I already talked to one of my partners, but not the other. And like, I'm excited about joining MBO. I need some help and I'll take all the help I can get. And I love, love the focus and giving a path for um, corporations to better understand the independent workforce and that that independent workforce can be very diverse and need some help and that it's a lot of work for us to put together the systems and the processes to help you do whatever it is you need to accomplish. So I'm super excited about that. And, you know, we met about 10 years ago through mm-hmm. Steve King. And back at that point, you know, you guys were looking at co-working as really part of the future of work. And here we are 10 years later. And it's so interesting because you're your journey, you know, you left and did some entrepreneurial work and then came back to MBO, which is a big credit to MBO that you want to come back. You know, I actually used to work for Dell and I can't tell you how many people left and went right back. It was a very common theme because when you have somebody that you really admire that you can work for, it's easy to go back. And I know you really admire Jean and I do as well. But on co-working, what are you thinking about co-working in the future of work? Oh, you know, I follow the topic of co-working as you know so closely. First of all, so many friends and colleagues, people like you, Jerome, mm-hmm. Mark and the work he's doing at Liquid Space and, and so many others that just locally in the Dallas community got very hooked into what was going on with the co-working movement. I think co-working is truly a unique and it's still a nascent sector. I do feel very bullish on co-working. I believe it's going to continue to grow. Um, the first phase of growth exists sort of started when um, we were talking about state of independence 10 years ago and I was at the you know global workspace event we did the juicy event off to the side that was so much fun as to represent was it Atlanta that we were sort of wandering around one of the downtowns I don't remember mm-hmm. where it was at that point I think the intersection was a group of people that were thinking about community right and as this as sort of the sticky thing that yeah, the glue. Everyone. yeah and you're very much a part of that and then there was a group that was thinking about space and real estate and how to monetize or redesign the business model for real mm-hmm. estate by the foot or by the, the leasing methodology. And, and they were they were quite far apart, but they knew they had to sort of figure out how to live together and interact. And you've obviously stayed that path and I've followed your journey as incredible that you are somebody who has built a co-working brand and had a successful exit. So you know kudos to you on that friend as a fellow female founder. I think that to me there's a question about Whose job is it to fund community within the workspace Hmm. and within society? So I even think about it when I go into a local library, right? So what is the library other than, you know, 
a potential community space that is not utilized as one today. So I think there's competition when you think about community with how we think about space in the public sector. And I think that's what I find really interesting about the group of you that I described that were authentic community Mm -hmm. creators, because I think you had that sense that you were doing something that had a social good for the community as much as you were thinking about a business model Mm -hmm. and how to monetize it from a financial perspective. And I know you did both, but to me, that's fascinating. And I don't know the answer, right? I always think it is private enterprise that will end up doing it better than a a public model. So I'm not saying, you know, libraries are going to compete with community co-working spaces. I think at the end of the day, there are different things. But, but what I do feel is that when you look at the corporate model, more and more, it's going to be about land grab and growth, and it's going to change the character and nature of the corporate co-working spaces where they may not be as, uh, as sticky for people. Mm-hmm. You know, it may start to become a pricing decision, a sort of a convenience decision that happens when a commodity isn't kind of almost oversupply or or land grab. Like, so when I look at what happened with WeWork and then, and look, I'm just using Dallas as an example, the number of brands and the number of co-working spaces got to a point where it's very hard to differentiate and know which one you picked other than pure, maybe convenience, like it's at an arm's throw. I do think WeWork for me has, had, had, I've personally experienced a WeWork membership um, for my most recent startup guider. And I think where I struggled was, I mean, it's a great, the business has done some things right, it's done some mm-hmm. things wrong, but it's also done some things right in terms of focus on design and uh, smart marketing and convenience in terms of bringing entrepreneurs in. But I ended up not gaining the community benefit that I thought I would, even though I felt like that was sold to me. So I think there's something there that is still a white space that... Yeah, I for just- sure. For sure. I mean, I think that's this huge opportunity for co-working and people that understand how to build community. Because I think if anything, COVID's brought to the forefront how much we crave human interaction and how much we need human interaction. And there's a big difference between a co-working space where you go in and you're welcomed by a human and you're introduced to people and you're told about the next event and people really ask you who you are and why you're there and they start connecting you immediately and building this community. And then a space where you go in, maybe nobody greets you and you just go find a desk and do whatever it is you do. They're completely different. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the things I always encourage people to do in in markets like Dallas that have a ton of space or Austin is go out and try a bunch of different co-working spaces. And the one that, that suits the way you like to work in the community you're comfortable in is the one you should join. Are there people that go in and don't want to be talked to? Absolutely. They're called introverts. And maybe they love that. You know, it's also this like you've got to pick where you're comfortable and where you like to be. I'm betting big that the vast majority of the population believes in community and wants to be part of it. And I also think we have a tremendous opportunity to help other people understand how to grow a community and how to engage people. Because like, you know, your library is just a place where you go get a book 
until you join the book club or until you go to an event with your kids. And then you meet other people and then you're like, hey, you know what? Let's meet back here next week. Our kids got along great, you know? So community is about connecting and bringing people together. And it's funny, I always said, you know, one of the biggest problems with WeWork was it's really hard to scale. And that is, that is, a conundrum once you get to a certain size. It's pretty easy when you're small. And once you start growing, it gets a lot harder. And that's just something we'll figure out along the way. But we are about out of time. So I want to go, or time, (laughs) I want to go to one last question that I love to ask. So as a fellow woman, entrepreneur, and a minority, what do you wish you could go back and tell your younger self about navigating the world? So it's a great question because I think I still ask questions about, you know, am I doing things right? So I don't think I would change anything, but I would tell myself to get comfortable with the way that I prefer to operate in the workspace, hmm. which is with sincerity, with humility, without a lot of cockiness, you know, which is not always, by the way, a great recipe for perceived success because mm-hmm. you easy to be overlooked. And those are considered to be feminine qualities, which in a power context can actually sometimes set you up in a disadvantaged position to be thoughtful, to listen rather than speak, or to speak in a collaborative way. I think these are all very powerful things that lead to business success. However, you're not going to necessarily be rewarded for them. And so you just got to get comfortable with that. That's what I would tell myself, like, this is how you want to be, just own it you know, and and don't, don't change yourself in order to arrive at the position of success that you wish to arrive at. Find a way to be successful in a way that is authentic to your own way of operating. And certainly my career has been very non-traditional. So I've taken non-traditional turns, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been rewarded for them Mm -hmm. both in corporate life and also in personal life, but it's not been an easy journey because when you take risks, You also have those points of failure, those points of being outside of the system and having to figure out how to navigate back in, but no regrets. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm the same. I've got no regrets. No regrets. Everything taught me something along the way. And it's about what you learn from your mistakes. It's really important. And, you know, I often, when I think about it, I'm like, you know, stop worrying so much and just do it. Just jump. Good advice that you, I'm going to follow that advice too, Liz. And, you know, it's (laughs) great to be reconnected to you and to looking forward to inviting you to our podcast and exposing you to our wonderful community and audience within MBO and of course getting to know the team for um, helping you within MBO Advantage. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited to have Deco join MBO and go in and explore. And I think a lot of folks in our audience will be as well. And it's MBO.com mbopartners.com. Okay. mbopartners.com. You guys should go check it out. Thanks for joining us for another Workplace Trends. You can catch me soon on the MBO podcast. And I really enjoyed speaking with you and I'm super excited we're reconnected as well. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much, Liz. I really appreciate being invited. Of course. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Ciao, everybody. Thanks for listening to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. Please subscribe to the Juicy Podcast to be sure you won't miss our next season. If you enjoyed this episode, please keep listening and throw us a like. Until next time, take care of yourself. Ciao.